Welcome back to the best college football pickup pod in the land. We come to you, as always, from bellyupsports.com. He is Alan Denton. I am Thomas Black, and we are headed for a week nine in the ATS Pick'em for a Pick'em pod right here with a very, very unique slate. Alan, we walk into a week with absolutely no noon kickoffs in the ATS Pick'em. That goes for our confidence Pick'em as well. Lots of unique things happening here on the show. How are you as we head into a very unique week? I'm doing great, man. Yeah, very unique is a great way of putting it. It's, again, ESPN selection is very, very diverse. Very diverse. We get plenty of Power 5 action, as always, but much less of it than we have in years past. We get a whole lot more Group of 5 action, and it means that we have to do an awful lot of studying, an awful lot of looking at these teams, and we even have some more oddities that we've got more teams under 500 than we typically do this deep into the season just because they are really prioritizing finding matchups that are close and so that translates over to our ATS Pick'em where we do it on cbssports.com because we follow the games that are given to us on ESPN so it means we do have an interesting slate once again but it has become a thing that we anticipate basically every week and we just don't know exactly what's going to come our way and it makes this thing very hard to predict but also a whole lot more entertaining because there's a lot of different ways this thing can flow, especially when you look at a confidence pick where you have to think about a board very, very flexibly, whereas in the past, we did not many times near as much as we do now. That's exactly right. I mean, 40% of the board is group of five this week. You know, anytime you're at that level or greater, that's a really big deal. This used to be maybe 20%, maybe, and it might even just be one game. And now, as you mentioned, it's very different types of matchups. No doubt about it. We have to look at our leaders, as we always do right here at the beginning of the show. In our ATS Pick'em, we have a leader in William who has 50 wins through eight weeks of the season. He is far and away the leader right now, relatively, with a lead on the pack for $175. Ted is in second place with 47 wins, three wins off the lead, and he heads the pack for $75. And then in third place is a team captain of the show, Bruce, with 46 wins. And he is in that position based off tiebreaker score from this past week. So he's doing a great job there as well, climbing the leaderboard. And he leads the way for $25. Plus, everybody would get a blackout t-shirt as well. So, Alan, again, tremendous picks at the top. We've got some separation from our leader, and we'll see over the next few weeks if that can be trimmed down a little bit, but definitely a good lead pack and definitely a very strong week that we saw from a lot of people on the leaderboard that enabled this separation at the top. Also, for you, me, and Zane to be climbing closer to the top of the leaderboard with a strong week ourselves, it was a very interesting week, no matter how you look at it. It really was, wasn't it? I mean, one guy had nine. Nine wins out of 10, which is just remarkable. Or no, a couple people had nine this past week. And that, to me, you just tip the cap. And on a couple of those, if Cooper DeJean's punt return isn't called back, they go 10-0, and which is incredible. And then William, with 50 points this far in, 
is really, really cool. He's been rock solid so far. The triumvirate that we are here on the podcast with the blackout with yourself, me, and Zane were all pretty rock solid as we went throughout the week. Alan, your record was seven and three. You climbed to 16th place from 19th from a week ago. You're now 41 and 38 on your ATS picks on the season. So as you look back on the week that was, as you look back on now what is beyond the halfway point of the season, how are you feeling in the ATS pick'em? Well, I mean, both of my locks hit, so that was a big deal. Ole Miss was able to take care of Auburn on the road, and then Memphis just really manhandled UAB, particularly because of all the turnovers. That was a big difference. And am I right in that UAB starting quarterback ended up not playing in that game, right? That sounds right. But honestly, I did not track it close enough to really pick that up as we went. Okay. Yeah. Well, it ended up being, I think, a last minute type of thing. But Memphis, their defense was the difference and gave them the separation in that one. So those ended up being great picks. Man, in my opinion, Miami of Ohio would have won that game had Brett Gabbert not ended up getting hurt. They had all the momentum in the second half, and I think that one would have ended up landing. And I actually, about six or seven hours before kickoff, right at noon, whenever I saw that Tyler Van Dyke wasn't going to play for Miami, I switched my pick from Miami on both sides, Mm. both, both confidence and on the ATS to Clemson. And then that Jimmett, if their backup quarterback didn't end up winning the game for him. Yeah, such a weird game because Clemson was up by 10 points deep into that game and kind of felt yep. like an uninspiring yet relatively easy victory when you're on the side with Clemson. And while I did not make the same switch you did, I did have Clemson. I fought all week with that pick, trying to figure out what I was going to do. But it was the same reason that I assured myself to stay away from Miami was because of the uncertainty surrounding Tyler Van Dyke and ultimately enough hints pointing toward him probably not playing that I ended up going with Clemson and felt pretty good about it, you know, through three quarters of the game. But of course the backup and Miami as a whole is a pretty solid team. I think again, that is something that I've now echoed on the show a couple of times in a row, even though they lost the game at North Carolina even though they lost to Georgia Tech. Miami is not a bad, bad football team. You know, there's a lot of teams in the country with a lot of flaws. Miami has some flaws just as everybody else does, but they are talented and they do have definitely some bright spots and one definitely enough to keep in contention with a team in Clemson that's been very disappointing but still has an awful lot of talent on its roster. Exactly. This was a game of probably underperforming with a lot of talent on both sides. And in all honesty, I thought the difference would be them not having Van Dyke. I just didn't think he would turn the ball over if he played nearly as much as he had previously. As we continue reviewing our picks, I also went seven and three in my picks. I jumped up to just outside the top 10. I'm in 11th place now after being in 16th this past week. And I am now 42 and 38 against the spread on the season. My locks hit as well. That is because I took Minnesota plus four and a half points as a lock. Not only was it a lock, it also ended up being a lock block because Zane Chapelier went with Iowa minus four and a half points. So I won a block there and then I took UTSA minus three and a half points at FAU. And that one, even though it got off to an ugly start 
And even though Frank Harris threw a couple of interceptions, including a pick six early, and I was starting to feel really shaky about this pick, it turned out that UTSA was far and away the right side to be on. It wasn't even close. So that is one that hit big time. And you look overall at everything else that was displayed here on the podcast last week. You have Ohio State that I gave away as a confidence value pick over on the confidence pick and pod. And I honestly assessed the game that I could see it being very, very close. And I did not guarantee that Ohio State was going to win the game comfortably. But as I went deep into the week, I actually ended up flipping a pick from Penn State plus the points to Ohio State minus the points. And I really, truly believe that there wasn't but another game or two on the entire pick'em slate that was dominated as much as Ohio State dominated Penn State. Now, the score was close, and it was kind of a tight game in ways, but Penn State's offense never really threatened in that game, much like I thought Ohio State's defense had the chance to do, and they had just enough offensively, especially with Marvin Harrison Jr. and the passing game, to really effectively put away Penn State pretty early in that game, even though it was still close. So I felt good there, and of course, you and I both gave away picks for USC as loss insurance over on the confidence pick and pod. And with that, of course, no guarantees. I ended up siding with Southern Cal minus six and a half points. And that was far and away the wrong side to be on. But anybody who listened to that conversation could have interpreted that as, hey, it might make sense to put Utah plus six and a half points in that matchup. And if you did, you basked in the glory of a correct pick. So there was an awful lot of information coming here on the free episode. There was an awful lot of good information coming on our bonus episode last week. Alan, I can't really tell people enough We don't do this all the time. It's not every single week, but we give enough of these good weeks out where you really need to be paying attention to what's said here on the podcast. Yeah, very much so. We nailed it. On the confidence side, I had USC at a two. And honestly, I debated. I'm like, do I really want to risk it and put Utah? I couldn't pull the trigger on that. The one really bad pick for me of the week was putting West Virginia as high as I did. But I did not think that Ollie Gordon would have a bajillion yards against a team that has stopped the run pretty decently over the course of the year. But overall, last week, we were all on it. Absolutely. And you throw in Zane into the mix. He went seven and three a week ago as well. He moved up to 18th in the standings from 23rd. He's now 41 and 39 and his picks against the spread. So we're all kind of clustered in that same picks territory. And if you look at his locks, he did go one and one because he took the lock block loss with Iowa minus four and a half points. But again, there was, you know, some iffy kind of lucky stuff there at the end on my side that worked against Zane in that pick. But he also took Utah plus six and a half as a lock. Again, absolutely the right side to be on. So if you break down the locks that we gave away, only the locks, Then if you sided with me on Minnesota plus four and a half points, then Alan, Zane, and I set you up to go 5-0 and in the picks we gave out here on the show and in the email we send out on a weekly basis. If you sided with Zane with the lock block, then you would have gone 4-1. and Either way, Alan, that is a tremendous start through half the games to be either positioned for 5-0 and or 4-1, and where if you just found a way to go 2-3 and or 3-2 and in the other half, you're setting yourself up for 6, 7, maybe even 8 wins. And that's standing right up with the best of the competition in this past week's contest on the ATS. 
Yeah. I feel like we're honing in and locking in on this as the year goes on. And honestly, as we get used to this competition. It was very new to us a year ago. We had to kind of feel out the process. And honestly, last year, there were a lot of games that we looked at that there were many weeks where I didn't feel really all that great about a lot of the picks. And this year, it just happens to be kind of flowing the other way, that there's a lot of weeks where I feel really good about them. That doesn't always pan out in your favor, but as I've seen, at least on my side, I think oftentimes it's gone more in my favor this year than I would have uh, guessed it always would. I don't know about you, Alan, but as we head into another week, what's your thoughts on the slate that we have? How confident are you in some of the plays? How much of a fight was it to find ATS locks in either a good way or a bad way? This week has some weird lines, in my opinion. Just because of the way that it played out, I struggled a little bit more with this week only because the lines that I wanted to be a point lower or a point higher weren't. (laughs) And because of that, it was a little bit trickier, in my opinion, to get the right two. But, you know, I think I got two good ones, but we'll see. We shall see. I tended to feel really solid about this week. I had four or five picks that I was all considering for locks, and I felt pretty solid about all of them. Now, I told my wife, Kristen, before we came in here and I started recording was, I go, man, you can feel really good about these, and then you can miss on one or two. And Mm -hmm. when I feel good on four or five, how do I pick the right two? You know, I've got to break these down to the smallest levels, the smallest margins to be able to pick the ones that I like the most. And even with that, you could still go one and one and it doesn't look all that great. And amongst the four or five, I might get three or four wins. But if I give out a pick on the show, that's a loss, you know, we'll see. But what I tell people all the time is pay attention to how we win, how we lose. Do we win big and win close? Do we lose big or do we lose close? And if we give out a lot more picks that are losing close or winning close and winning big, that's the territory we want to be in. And we've talked about this again and again. When we have 10 games dictated to us by ESPN, it's hard to get a good read on some of these games sometimes. That's just naturally going to happen because we're not picking out the games that we absolutely love the most from an entire college football pick'em slate. We're picking out from the 10 games that are given to us. And that is a challenge some weeks far more than others. But it is a unique practice that we get into on a weekly basis here on the Blackout. Yeah, it very much is. Now, as we go into picks this week, because Alan, Zane, and I all finished seven and three, we have to determine who's going first based off tiebreakers. And I was only nine points off on the total score between Ohio State and Penn State. So I'll take us away first, Alan, where I am going to look at a Pac-12 game between the Oregon Ducks and the Utah Utes. A couple of teams that we have come familiar with over the past couple of weeks with big showdowns inside the Pac-12, like we talked about from the preseason all the way into the first couple of weeks, we knew this was coming. A lot of these Pac-12 matchups are going to be saved for the back half of the season, and we are going to get some really big showdowns between some of the best teams in the country that are out West. Rarely have we ever been able to say that before, especially in the college football playoff era, but here we are talking about it again. And as we look at this matchup, we've seen these teams a couple of times recently, most recently Utah, with their win last week in the Pick'em, 34-32 over USC, where they outgained Southern Cal by 80 yards. They had the running game going big time, like you and I projected. Jaquindon Jackson went off for 117 yards. Sione Vaki, the safety, went for 68 yards, plus 149 through the air. And Bryson Barnes, the quarterback, had his best game of his career. He went 14 of 23 for 235 yards. 
three touchdowns and a pick six that really contributed to USC actually having a shot late in this game. But overall, it was Utah and the run game that we had predicted was going to be trouble for USC. They picked up nearly 250 yards on the ground, averaging 5.3 a carry. Now, this week, we have already learned that there is developments inside the program. Cam Rising, who is expected to be the starting quarterback this season, has now been announced as he is done for the season. And there is some belief that he will medically redshirt and be back a year from now for one more season of college football. They also announced this past week that star tight end Brant Keithy is also done for the season. So those guys we kind of expected would be back at some point. That obviously is not happening anymore. But you look at a Utah team that nonetheless has been very impressive. Now we look at Oregon And last week, they bounced back with a 38-24 win versus Washington State. But it was two weeks ago when they were in the pick'em with a loss at Washington, 36-33. So, Alan, as we look back on the Washington game, I have four questions for you. First off, who did you pick in the Oregon-Washington game? I picked Oregon. Okay. Now, if you can recall, who did I pick in the Oregon-Washington game? Oh, geez. I think you picked – did you pick Oregon as well? I did not. I went with Washington. You picked Washington? Okay. Okay, so I was on the other side. I didn't give it out as a lock. I didn't give it out as a confidence value pick. But I did have Washington. So, Alan, between the two of us, who won the pick? Uh, You did, but I should have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, I've got to get to my fourth question. So, when we reviewed that slate on the podcast, who did you and I both say should have been picked – between Oregon and Washington. Oregon. Yes. 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 It was a close game. Fourth down failures. Oregon had the chance to win that game multiple times. And I think we should rely on the same thing, even with Oregon on the road. It is going to be a tough environment. But when you look at Utah nearly gaining 250 yards on the ground for Southern Cal, you called them soft a week ago. And I do not think that is incorrect. When you look at Oregon... They have tremendous defensive stats when it comes to the rushing game. Now, I am not going to just tell you they're phenomenal against the run because I don't think they've really faced anything like Utah to this point, and I don't think they've been tested in the way that Utah will test them. But when you look at their defensive line, the defensive ends they have, 290-pounders Brandon Dorless and Jordan Birch, the former five-star transfer from South Carolina, who are very involved in this defense so far this season. You add in a five-star true freshman and six-foot-five, 270-pound Mateo Uyunglele. Yes, the younger brother of one DJ Uyunglele, and a guy that I learned as a high schooler had the nickname Young Concrete. This team is physical on the defensive line. I think it's a good matchup for this game against Utah. And right now, I think this Oregon offense is operating better than the Southern Cal offense that helped put up 32 points and nearly won the game against Utah. And again, that is including a pick six. But I think this Oregon offense is well-suited to be able to put up a lot of points and a lot of yards on a Utah defense that I think is good, but not necessarily great. And I think the combination of Bo Nix and the running backs, Bucky Irving and Jordan James and the receivers and Troy Franklin, Tez Johnson and the tight end Terrence Ferguson, I think should be able to put up yards and points even on the road, even in a loud environment. Heck, we already saw them go to an environment like this at Washington, where despite the loss, Alan and I are both telling you that Oregon probably should have won the game. So I think that 
Oregon's a better version of what Utah just faced in USC. I think they're better on offense and defense, and I'm willing to take the risk on the road in a tough environment. I'm locking up the Ducks this week, minus six and a half points, Alan. Honestly, I very much lean that way. In fact, I think a lot of betters do too, because that line's already risen from six and a half to seven. So the money's coming in on Oregon at this point. If Utah were fully healthy, then I would lean more towards Utah. But I think this is going to be close. And the one thing that cannot happen, and Bo Nix hasn't done this in quite some time, probably since the Georgia game, the very opening game last year, he cannot just go full Leroy Jenkins and throw like three interceptions. That's the one thing, in my opinion, that's unknown because, man, are Utah opportunistic. So that's the one thing that I worry about. But otherwise, I'm very much with you, and I plan to be on Oregon's side. I like it. And to what you're saying, if there are turnovers, obviously that complicates the matter. But with this Utah offense, not only did they have tremendous success on the ground, but I mentioned Bryson Barnes had a career day passing the ball against Southern Cal. Bryson Barnes is nothing special at quarterback, right? And like you mentioned, if Utah was fully healthy and they had the guys like Cam Rising and Brant Keithy, there's no way we would see a six and a half point line in this game. Maybe it's Oregon by three or something like that, but obviously the line would be much, much closer and it would be much, much more of a competitive game from the standpoint of skill on the offensive side for Utah versus what Oregon presents. So I'm expecting Oregon to hopefully slow down Utah's rushing attack. And if that happens, just even if they can put five and six guys in the box, rather than loading up the box, I think it presents the opportunity that Bryson Barnes is going to have nowhere near as successful a day as he did passing the ball as he did against USC. And I think Oregon's talented enough and skilled enough offensively to have success if nothing else, for portions of this game, even if Utah comes up with a tremendous game plan, I think Oregon's going to score points. And I just think it's up to Utah. Can they score with them? And I think that's going to be something of a challenge for this offense, especially if Oregon holds up as well as they've shown against the run. I don't think it'll be that well, but if they can hold Utah to 150, 175 yards rushing, I feel really good about Oregon covering the six and a half. Yeah, I'm with you there, man. I really am. Love it. Alan, where are you going for your first ATS lock this week? All right. This is my first of not one, but two group of five games for the ATS side. I'm learning to lean on the group of five, and this one is all because of an injury that I mentioned earlier. Let's go to Miami of Ohio at Ohio, and this is one that, quite frankly, I probably would be on the other side, particularly because of some of what – Uh, Miami of Ohio was able to do with Brett Gabbert at quarterback, but he ain't there anymore. Ohio's defense is probably going to be the difference maker in this game. They're averaging 70 yards, less yards allowed per game, particularly on the ground. Ohio likes to be able to run the ball and Miami of Ohio does not stop the run at all. This is an Ohio team that's six and two. They literally have the exact same record as Miami of Ohio. After a tough loss last week against Toledo at home, 
I don't know where the headspace of this Miami of Ohio team is. I mean, I expect that they'll attempt to bounce back pretty well, but I'm not going to trust that quarterback. He looked mobile, but in watching the last bit of that game, he was completely overwhelmed in the air game, and he had no pocket presence whatsoever. Because of that, when I saw this line at minus six and a half for Ohio, I'm like, yep, I think they win by touchdown. So I'm locking up the Ohio Bobcats. Listen up, people. With DJ Allen Denton in the background. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. As we look at another lock party, that's what's signified with the sounder. I am on Ohio minus six and a half points as well, much for the same reasons that Allen is. When you look at Ohio, they've got a solid quarterback in Curtis Rourke, who has completed about 63% of his passes for nine touchdowns and five interceptions this season. You look back, he's thrown those five interceptions in two games. Other than that, it's been six turnover-free games, at least from a passing standpoint. He's got a couple of decent wide receivers in Sam Wigless and Miles Cross. And you talk about the good defense they have. They're also facing a good defense, but I think Ohio has the better weapons. And when they have a mediocre to below average run game, I think they're also going up against a Miami of Ohio defense that's kind of mediocre in the run game defense that they present. So maybe it's an opportunity for Ohio to have a little bit of success there, even though it's not their strong suit. And then you switch over to Miami of Ohio. Like you said, the loss of Brett Gabbert was absolutely devastating. I didn't see the injury itself, but I saw the aftermath. When the medical team's putting the air cast on his leg, they load him up into an ambulance and drive him away. He, of course, is done for the season. I don't know exactly what the injury is, but I have heard at least and saw some indications that it was probably pretty dang devastating. So you look at Avion Smith, who came in, and like you said, He was not impressive when he came in. He went three of seven for 23 yards. But I went back to look at what Avion Smith has done in a larger sample size to know what to expect in this game. And in 2022, he actually played a lot because Brett Gabbert got hurt a year ago as well. And Avion Smith had to come in and play a lot. So he completed last season less than 50% of his passes, just barely. We can call it 50% because it touches right up to 50%, even if you round it up, for about 1,300 yards, 11 touchdowns, and five interceptions. But that was only on six yards per attempt. Or if you average that out based on completions, maybe 12 yards of completion. So when you're looking at a team that is not really explosive, I don't think. I don't think that... This team has an awful lot of punch offensively. I do believe they have a pretty good wide receiver core. And when Brett Gabbert is your quarterback, who's much more of a throwing quarterback, I think he can accentuate that. And it could be an opportunity, like you said, if Brett Gabbert was in this game, I'd probably be looking at an upset in this one. But when you have Avion Smith in there, I think he kind of negates the strength of this offense with the wide receivers. And he does offer some mobility. He ran for over 550 yards a year ago. But against such a strong defense that Ohio has that is good against the run and the pass, I like this defense going up against a quarterback that, sure, he has some experience, but not very much this season. 
And I think this defense should be able to contain Miami of Ohio very, very well. And I like Ohio's offense just enough. This probably isn't going to be a real high-scoring game. But if they can get to 20, 24 points, I think the opportunity for them to cover 6.5 is really, really high. And I think their defense is probably going to get them a good number of chances. And I think they probably stand a pretty good shot at winning the field position battle, which could be very important for putting sevens on the board instead of threes. And I think any way you look at it, it makes a lot of sense to be on the Ohio Bobcats minus 6.5. You're exactly right. And there's a reason that line has also moved to already minus 7. Right. I mean, I think a lot of people kind of see that as an opportunity to cash in a little bit because that I think that Ohio seems like the team to play on this one. We don't talk a lot about percentages when we talk about the ATS pick them, because I know last year we found after talking about them a little bit in terms of who's picking which side that we just couldn't rely on CBS to update those percentages very quickly. Yep. But I'm a little suspicious in a good way that CBS has corrected some of that this year. I think these things might be updated a little bit more frequently. And that's a guess. I can't guarantee that. But right now on Tuesday night, as we look at the pick and board, Miami of Ohio has 66% of the world's population on their side, plus six and a half points. And while I think it is a possible outcome, you can't ever turn that down in the ATS. I think there's an awful lot of people picking that with a relatively big line versus two teams that are six and two and are competitors in the same conference and probably have no clue that Brett Gabbert is injured for this game. So tidbits of information you get here, absolutely pay attention to that injury. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe we lose the pick, but you and I so far this season are 2-1 in one in ATS lock parties. So we'll go for our third win. And you and I are also 7-6 and six all time in our lock parties, having hit seven of our last nine. So, Alan, we've got a little bit of a good track record going. Let's see if we can keep it going this week with Ohio. Yeah, boy. All right, Alan, where are you going for your second ATS lock this week? All right, man, I'm going to a team with another lockdown defense and to a team that I'm not overwhelmed by, and that's Troy at Texas State. Troy has been dominant defensively and this is the side of the ball where I think that it's going to make a huge difference in this game they're only allowing 280 yards per game as opposed to Texas State who you know is not all that great 400 yards per game for them and here's the thing I'm going to start giving you some totals that Troy's allowed the past few weeks two weeks ago against Army zero points for Army Arkansas State Butch Jones he sucks three points Georgia State, which is a really good football team, they beat them 28-7 to at Georgia State. That was the game that I was wrong on in the pick'em slate. Their two losses has come against James Madison, who's undefeated, and they only lost by two to them, and to Kansas State, who's a top-20 team. When you look at this team, there's a lot to like. Offensively, they're not overwhelming but they don't have to be. Texas State, on the other hand, as I mentioned, is porous defensively, and I think Troy is going to be able to take advantage of that both through the air where they're competent and on the ground where they're pretty dang good. Texas State is good offensively with C.J. Finley, the Auburn and LSU transfer coming in and having a really good year, 14 touchdowns and three interceptions, but they've really not faced any type of stout defense at all. And some of their stats have been padded a good bit by playing somebody like Jackson state earlier in the year. 
the past couple of weeks they've played better competition those numbers have come down obviously they lost a couple weeks ago in our slate at louisiana and just barely slipped by louisiana monroe which is not a very good team they're two and five this year so i am locking up the troy trojans at minus five and a half because i think this is probably more like a 10 point game there were a lot of games that I considered for ATS locks, and this falls right in the boat, and I'm going to be on the same side, absolutely. I'll be on Troy minus five and a half points, and I'll look at a lot of the same things that Allen did. You mentioned TJ Finley's been really good for Texas State, and he has thrown for nearly 2,000 yards. And while Troy is not a great offensive team, I think they've improved some from a year ago. Gunnar Watson at quarterback has been solid as well. He's thrown for nearly 1,800 yards, 11 touchdowns, and four interceptions. Against a defense that the Bobcats have that is vulnerable in both the run and the pass, I think Troy should have a lot of success offensively in this game. And it's probably going to be one of their better offensive games of the season. And then it's up to Texas State of can they keep up against one of the best defenses they'll face all season, if not the very best. And I kind of comp this game versus Texas State to the one that you mentioned just a minute ago. A few weeks back when we had Troy at Georgia State and they won that game, Georgia State is a very similar kind of spread, pass a lot offense. They also run the ball pretty well too. But I think very similar teams with what Georgia State has and what Texas State has. And you go back and look at that matchup specifically, not only did Troy win it by three scores, but they were in control of this thing for largely the entire second half. They outgained Georgia State by over 100 yards. They limited Georgia State's offense. Again, a high-flying spread, good offense in both the run and the passing game to 298 yards. And I don't think there's many teams that are going to be able to say that they did that to Georgia State this season. Troy is just capable of doing that both on the offensive and defensive end. So they're not going to blow you away offensively, but I do very much believe this is going to be one of those matchups where Troy should have one of its best offensive producing games of the entire season. They're a team that's gone up, like you said, against good competition multiple times this year, had pretty close games in losses apart from Kansas State. And they've also found ways to win games by fairly sizable margins a number of times, even if their offense isn't extremely explosive or anything like that. I really like the chances that the Trojans cover this five and a half point line. Yeah, I'm glad that we're on the same wavelength there. You know, it feels weird to have two group of five games as my locks. But, you know, these were the two that really I felt pretty comfortable with and looked. I was like, these feel like some mismatches that I can take advantage of. Yeah, for a lot of the same reasons, I absolutely considered putting Troy in there amongst my final two, and I don't remember the exact reasons. I didn't have it in there, but again, I was considering about five of these for my ATS locks, and that was certainly one of them, and one of the ones that I think was even closer toward the top, if you're breaking down five, it probably fit in as like my third or fourth favorite this week, so absolutely one of my favorite picks on the board and one that I will definitely be on the same side as. I know sometimes we come in here with ATS locks where we kind of hesitate a little bit in response, but in this way, absolutely not. I'll be on Troy minus the points as well. Can't wait to see what happens in the game this weekend, but one that I feel pretty dang solid about as we head towards Saturday. I love it, man.
All right, Alan and I have to go off and record a confidence pick'em pod where we are sure to talk about some other games on this pick'em slate because we've only talked about three of them so far. So, Alan, looking forward to hearing some confidence value picks from you. I'll be giving those as well. And if you would like to get on the email chain that we send out with these picks on a weekly basis, you can join on Patreon as a team captain. That's only $5 a month. And you'll be able to listen to those bonus episodes we give out. You'll be able to see the picks by email that we send out each week. And that's going to include not only Alan's picks, not only my picks, but also Zane's picks as well as he gets in here on a weekly basis. And in a couple more weeks, we're probably looking at a situation where Zane's going to step in for his second time on the show. Alan may step aside, and that'll give you the opportunity to keep up with Alan's picks even when he goes into the shadows and steps back a little bit. So, Alan, it's a fun way to keep everybody involved, and I cannot wait to see what happens as we go on to another episode. But definitely an encouragement for people to chip in to the podcast, help us grow, help us develop, and of course, those funds will get funneled back into prizes to help the prizes get bigger year after year. So we could really use the support, we could really use the help, but we are using this as a tool to help you get involved in conversations that benefit you on both sides of these competitions. Alan, it's a blast. I cannot wait to see where we go from here, but we've gotten a pretty good start with a handful of subscribers over on Patreon, and I can't wait to see the day, if it ever happens, where we've got dozens and then hundreds. You know, that's where this thing is really going to take off one day. So you can get in on the ground floor of that and really make a huge difference for this project and for your chances to win some big prizes down the road. 100%. And in a couple of weeks, Harbaugh had to call me up because he's got to have some other sign stealers. So I got to go up and steal some signs from some other Big Ten teams. So that's probably why I'll be out in a couple of weeks. Well, that's kind of fair. I mean, he's got guys getting caught right now, so he's got to find his replacements, right? That's exactly right. All right, Alan. Looking forward to hearing more of the talk over this Pick'em Slate as we head over to the Confidence Pick'em Pod. Thank you for your time. Can't wait to hear more from you next week as we – Get into a pick'em slate on Halloween night next Tuesday, as long as everything goes according to plan. That's exactly right. See you on those side, bro. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.